Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode 5 of the podcast. Last week, 95.7 The Game producer Arden Cravalho joined the show to discuss the Niners 2020 mock draft and the Caesar sports betting odds for the Niners in the 2020 season. But today we are going to react to Joe Staley's retirement, the Trent Williams trade, and break down the 49ers 2020 NFL draft class. Joining us today, he covers the Niners for the 4th and 9 and formerly of Niners Nation and Niners Hub, Akash Anavarathan. Akash, thanks for joining us today. I honestly just want to jump right in. Uh, the biggest news, I think, besides Joe Staley's retirement, and we'll get to that later in the show, but the 2020 uh, Niners draft class, Javon Kinlaw, Brandon Ayuk, and then we'll get into the later picks uh, later on in the show, but I want to talk about Javon Kinlaw. Now, the Niners traded back from the 13th overall pick with the Bucks to the 14th overall pick and had a lot of people wondering what's going to happen here. Uh, CeeDee Lamb is still on the board. Jerry Judy is still on the board at that time. Uh, then they picked Javon Kinlaw, and my mind kind of exploded saying, what are we doing? Why, why are we doing this? CeeDee Lamb's there. Jerry Judy's there. Uh, and, and Kinlaw had previously stated he wanted to be a Niner, so it kind of made sense. Debo Samuel had told him, we learned previously, that you know, he told Kinlaw, you're going to be a Niner. So it seemed like Shanahan and Lynch had made their mind up on Kinlaw if he was available at 13, which ended up being 14. But I want to ask you your reaction when they didn't take CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy. What was your reaction to the Kinlaw pick at first? Hey, Sterling. First of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, appreciate you. And uh, it's good to talk 49ers football with you. Uh, so on to the Javon Kinlaw pick. So when they traded back from 13 to 14, at that time, uh, Tristan Wirfs was still on the board, uh, the offensive tackle from Iowa. So uh, just just about an hour before the draft, uh, NBC Sports' Matt Mayoko uh, came out with an article that talked about, you know, Joe Staley's future was kind of in question. And I think the headline was he kind of doubted that Joe Staley would, would be returning. So at that moment, I'm thinking, OK, even though there's C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy on the board, I would rather have the offensive tackle, right? Uh, I, I firmly believe, and I think the 49ers do too as well, you kind of been, build your team uh, inside out. You start with the trenches, you add linemen, and then you kind of add skill players uh, as the draft goes on. So at that time, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to take Tristan Wirfs. Uh, and obviously, as soon as they traded back, you realize that Tampa Bay was going to go ahead and get Wirfs. And then um, the 49ers made the pick for Javon Kinlaw. And it kind of made sense because uh, a couple weeks before the draft, uh, a lot of people, uh, especially, you know, thinking back to the last season, uh, assumed that the defensive line depth is, you know, intact. It's still really good because it was a strength of the team last year. But as we all know, they, they moved to Forrest Buckner, who was probably the most, um, you know, high floor kind of, you know, the stability of the defensive line is defined by DeForest Buckner. He's no longer there. Uh, Ronald Blair, DJ Jones, all coming back from injury. Um, and they also lost Sheldon Day in the middle to Indianapolis. So all of a sudden, that defensive line didn't look as strong uh, as it did last season. And so the 49ers, they go ahead and pick up uh, arguably the second best defensive lineman in the class with Javon Kinlaw. 
uh, and they can slide him right in there to the three technique. Uh, you know, at South Carolina last season, he lined up both over the A gap and the B gap. So he has experience kind of as a three tech or a one tech. So he'll kind of fit right into Buckner's role. And that's, that's a need that they had and they filled it, filled it immediately. So uh, looking forward to see what he's going to bring to the table um, this season. You mentioned DeForest Buckner, the Niners traded him to Indianapolis. And they saved you know, roughly around $20 million in the process uh, over the course of his contract. And uh, I want to ask you about, more, more importantly, Kinlaw here is that despite them you know, saving money by moving Buckner, uh, the process of Kinlaw, of picking Kinlaw, to me, it seemed like the Niners have done or, or have effortlessly tried to bring in high-character players into the organization. We kind of saw all this mass exodus uh, of players from the bulky Chip Kelly, Jim Tomsula era when Lynch and Shanahan came in. I don't think anyone's complaining about that, uh, but it's been a good thing that they've done that so far. And when I look at Kinlaw's story, I see he was homeless for a certain time, bouncing from home to home, uh, from hotel to motel, eventually earned a scholarship at South Carolina, then became an All-American, and of course drafted by the Niners at 14. Um, do you think that his story, his perseverance, his character played a role in them drafting him at 14? 100%. I think if you, you know, think back to 2017 when John Lynch uh, traded back in from the second round into the first round uh, to take Reuben Foster, uh, a lot of us, uh, you know, loved the pick initially, right? Foster was arguably a top 10 talent in that draft. Uh, he filled the need at middle linebacker, and a lot of us thought immediately back to the days of Patrick Wilson, Mara Bowman, uh, so on, right? But one of the red flags on him was his character. Uh, he had issue with the combine, uh, with, you know, medicals. And, uh, I think he eventually ended up getting kicked out. Um, so he, he had some character flags and they paid for it. Right. Uh, Foster eventually got into trouble off the field and they ended up releasing him. So learning from that situation, they've made, uh, you know, kind of a decision moving forward of adding high character guys. And you see the players that they've added kind of over the last few seasons, just fit that mold and. I think Kinlaw fits exactly that. And you kind of mentioned his background and his story. And just speaking to him on Thursday after he got drafted, you could tell that uh, this meant a lot to him, someone that's come from uh, a very difficult background uh, and now being a first-round pick in the NFL. Uh, you can see that it, it, it's a lot more than football to him, right? Kinlaw is, is arguably one of the best defensive players in this draft. And, Obviously a high-character player. The Niners wanted him at 13, which eventually became 14. Uh, and PFF rated him the highest defensive lineman since 2018. And he's been labeled kind of this monstrous defensive lineman who who is strong, he has power, he can bully any de- uh, any offensive lineman. He can take on double, triple teams and still be effective. Um, you talked about Reuben Foster and how there was kind of a risk there. And obviously the risk uh, from Kinlaw and Foster is very different. Uh, but there was a, a small kind of murmuring across the league about Javon Kinlaw's knee. Uh, I do want to ask you that some teams did remove him entirely from their draft board because of that knee. And and from the last regime here in San Francisco, Trent Baalke loved taking guys at torn ACLs. And that isn't the case with Kinlaw. But do you think there is maybe even if a small concern to worry about Kinlaw's knee going forward? Yeah, so Javon Kinlaw was diagnosed with uh, knee tendonitis. So I, I don't think that – I'm not a doctor – but I don't think that's like a degenerative like knee condition. Uh, during the senior bowl, uh, he was dominating, uh, but they had to pull him because uh, he, you know, uh, had some pain in his knee. Uh, John Lynch did mention to us that uh, the 49ers doctors did take a look at uh, Kinlaw at the senior bowl uh, when he was dealing with his issues with the knee. 
uh, and they cleared him completely. Uh, and like you mentioned, I, I don't know which teams cleared him, but there were a handful of teams that removed him from the draft board. Um, I don't necessarily think it's something to be worried about. Uh, we asked Javon kind of what's, you know, what's the deal with the knee? He said he's 100%, ready to go. Um, so I, I don't think it's something that's necessarily a, a lingering thing or something we should be necessarily worried about. Going from the Force Buckner and his stability, we hope Kinlaw's knee can hold up, and we think it will, which is a great thing. But I do want to ask you, because Kinlaw's going to be compared to DeForest Buckner no matter what he does, no matter how many sacks or, or tackles or pressures he can he can make this season or, or throughout his entire career, he's going to be compared to DeForest Buckner. Uh, can you tell Niner fans who maybe are still a little uneasy about the Kinlaw pick and trading DeForest Buckner, can you give them some reassurance as to what Kinlaw can bring to this uh, defensive line coming into this offseason the 49ers are kind of at a crossroads right so they had DeForest Buckner who's due for an extension they had Eric Armstead who was a free agent uh Emmanuel Sanders free agent Jimmy Ward free agent so they've got there's no possible way for them to sign all of those players just given their salary cap situation so now they're gonna have to pick and choose and maneuver uh with who they're who they'd like to resign and who they can replace in the draft um and so they went the route of keeping Armstead who signed for uh, far less guaranteed money um, and Jimmy Ward while letting Emmanuel Sanders and DeForest Buckner walk. Um, and so they obviously replaced uh, Buckner with Kinlaw in the draft. And I think the biggest thing to realize with interior defenders, especially is their impact may not be evident on the stat sheet. And a lot of people, especially this season, this past season would criticize Buckner just because his stats weren't as, you know, shiny as, uh, Armsteads or Bosa's or Ford's. Uh, but when you throw on the tape, you see that Buckner would take on a lot of double teams. He would do a lot of the dirty work so that uh, the other linemen could then get to the quarterback or the linebackers can go and make the tackle uh, against the running back. And when you throw on Kinlaw's tape from South Carolina, you see a lot of the same thing. Um, you see him taking on uh, double and triple teams and other linemen benefiting from that. So I would expect something similar again uh, in his rookie year with the 49ers where Kinlaw's impact may not be evident on the stat sheet and you may not see tackles or sacks, but he'll be facing a lot of double teams and he'll allow the other defensive linemen uh, to do their thing. Looking back at the draft and, and seeing how San Francisco didn't add uh, any cornerbacks or safeties in the draft, and obviously they picked up a few guys uh, as undrafted free agents, but Looking back into they didn't go get you know an AJ Terrell, a CJ Henderson, uh, a Damon Arnett, those guys who maybe could add instant impact in the first or second rounds. Uh, how important is it that the Niners did draft Javon Kinlaw instead of a CD Lamb or instead of a Jerry Judy? Every franchise uh, fundamentally has some you know core values, uh, kind of what positions they uh, think are more important than others. Uh, and the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan kind of went into depth on this uh, on Saturday. He basically was saying, hey, you know, we're going to build through the defensive line. You know, we think on the defensive side of the ball, like that's where we're going to try and add as much talent as possible, uh, especially in the draft. And and you can see, right, in, in their first draft in 2017, they took Solomon Thomas. In 2019, uh, they took Nick Bosa. And this year they went ahead and took Javon Kinlaw. And so... Uh, you know, fundamentally, I think they lean linemen over cornerbacks. And I, I get the concern from fans, you know, uh, Richard Sherman, Akella Witherspoon, Kawan Williams, all set to be free agents at the end of the year. But 
I think what that means is they're going to try and bring, you know, one or two of those guys back uh, in free agency, whether it's, you know, Sherman Kiwan or Kellogg Kwan, depending on how kind of their, their performance uh, plays out the season and try to find guys uh, in the draft in the later rounds. Uh, and if you remember, you know, Tim Harris, a corner they drafted from Virginia last year, uh, he redshirted, so he didn't play at all. He'll be coming back. They re-signed uh, Jason Barrett. Um, and obviously they've still got a Kelly Witherspoon, Emmanuel Mosley, um, along, you know, to go along with the rest of the guys they had last season. So uh, there's depth at the position for this season. It's more of a 2021 concern. It seems like the Niners are going to be relying on many players that were on IR last year or didn't play as much to kind of be their additions. And I'll get into that later in the show, but I do want to ask you about Brandon Ayuk. And if, if, if I'm being completely honest here, I did not know a lot about him. And when they first picked him, you know, I, I think I was along with many Niners and saying we took Ayuk over Lamb and Judy, which I think is going to be, you know, something that Niner fans look at for a while, maybe a year or so uh, when comparing the two players. And, you know, a lot of people thought, including myself, the Niners were going to trade back at 31. Uh, they were going to uh, accumulate some picks in the second and third round. Of course, John Lynch and Shanahan did the exact opposite thing, which they're kind of known to do now. And so they traded back, or, or, or they traded the 31st pick, the 117th pick, which was the fourth rounder they got uh, when moving back for Kinlaw. Then they traded their uh, the 176th pick for the 25th pick with Minnesota, and they got Brandon Ayuk. And, and, and according to the Niners, they got intel that he was going to be taken uh, prior to 31, which was which seemed like the reasoning for trading up uh, to get him. And so I'm going to ask you this one more time. This is the last time I'm going to ask you it. You know, uh, To many, their reaction was, why not CeeDee Lamb? Why not Jerry Judy? Can can you explain to maybe Niner fans out there who, who are still clamoring uh, for Lamb and for Judy why Ayuk fits the Niners more so than Lamb or Judy do? You know, coming into the draft, there was a consensus uh group, you know, top group of receivers. It was Oklahoma C.D. Lamb, and then Alabama's Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs. And then you had, you know, the Justin Jeffersons, the Ayukes, the Ragers. Uh, you know, they kind of fell after, and no one had kind of a consensus ranking, but they were, you know, a, a tier below the top three guys. And so I kind of went into this pre-draft uh, trying to figure out what Kyle Shanahan likes in, the, in a receiver, um, you know, what is his mold, right? And kind of the common theme that I got is he likes guys that are quick off the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, primarily you can see that kind of in a three cone time or a, you know, 20 yard short shuttle time guys that can are shifty can, you know, uh, have good change of pace. Uh, but given the fact that there were no pro days and the combine was kind of limited uh, that we had an incomplete data set. So we didn't have a lot of these measurables on all these guys, especially like guys like Brandon Ayuk. So it was more film dependent this year. And then when you look at the type of receivers that the 49ers have and that, that have had success specifically, you start with Debo Samuel, right? A physical receiver that accumulates a lot of yards after the catch. Kendrick Bourne, same thing. There's no fear there going over the middle of the field, catching those tough passes on third down, uh, trying to gain yards after the catch. So, you know, and then the guys that haven't had as much success, you know, Dante Pettis who's been known for kind of being a little soft, right? A little finesse. Uh, he's a great route runner, but uh, has been known to drop balls and over the middle of the field, whatever the case may be. So, you know, given their past experience, you'd think, okay, they want someone that's more physical, uh, someone that, you know, can do a lot 
with the ball after the catch. Um, and so, you know, the, the guy that I kind of zeroed in on was C.D. Lamb because he, he really fit that mold. Um, and he, to me, he, feel, he felt like kind of the safest receiver in this class. And so, uh, and that's kind of what Kyle Shanahan said too. He said, you know, uh, Brandon Ayuk was my number one guy. And then C.D. Lamb was my number two guy. He, he didn't mention either of the Alabama guys. And so just like you, I had watched some Brandon Ayuk before the draft, but I, I didn't really think the Niners would take him uh, just because I thought they were trading out of number 31. So, uh, you know, Ayuk probably would have been gone in the 20s. So realistically, I just didn't think they would have a chance to draft him. So I, I didn't put too much stock into the pre-draft. But now you watch the tape after the, after the draft. I watch games against, you know, uh, Wazoo, Washington State. Uh, Sacramento State, Kent State, um, and there were a few other games that I saw. You see, he's kind of like uh, Debo Samuel Light. Uh, he can line up in the X, the Z, the F. Uh, they move him around all over the field. He does, you know, he runs the jet sweeps, the bubble screens, the slants, um, and his, you know, play after the catch is physical. And so he kind of fits. It kind of makes sense, right? They've they've gone to pick a receiver that fits kind of the mold that has been successful in San Francisco. And, and Shanahan made a good point. It's, you know, I, I can scheme guys open, but, you know, after the catch, it's up to them. So, you know, having guys like Debo and, and Brandon who can make magic after the catch is um, something that Shanahan covets, I think. So we'll see what, what he does, but um, he, he definitely fits that Debo Samuel kind of mold. You're speaking of Debo Samuel as kind of possibly a pro comp for him. And and to be honest, I already said this, but I did not know much about Ayuk before the Niners picked him. And, and the more I dug into the tape and saw his, his raw speed, the way he's able to run around defenders and how naturally elusive he is, and even his ability to catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage and take it to the house reminds me of kind of a faster version of Victor Cruz. And even at times... Uh, kind of has the same traits of former Carolina Panthers Steve Smith, and even Steve Smith spoke highly of Ayuk on 957 The Game. Does that sound like a fair pro comparison for Ayuk, knowing what you know about him? Yeah, I thought another good comp, uh, just given measurables and kind of what you see was Pierre Garçon uh, coming into the league. Obviously, he played with Kyle Shanahan. Uh, they spent time together before uh, Garçon came to the 49ers. And obviously, you know, when Shanahan got hired here, uh, he brought that receiver with him. So I think that's a good comp. They're both extremely physical uh, before and after the catch. Kind of the same size, you know, six-foot receiver, uh, good build, uh, not great speed. Uh, you know, Ayuk ran 4-5, uh, even though he had, like, a core muscle injury. But I don't think it would have been much better. You know, you watch him on tape, he's not. I don't know if he has, like, 4-4 four, four speed. Uh, he, he just doesn't have the blazing speed to take, you know, a corner deep. But – he has the you know initial quickness to kind of separate from a defender, uh, and then kind of make you know forced tackle, forced missed tackles, and things like that after the catch. Um, I would think Pierre Garcon is a good comp, but I, I like the ones that you mentioned too uh, with Steve Smith. Let me ask you this, and it kind of sounds like you're saying that maybe Ayuk doesn't bring something different to the Niners, but he brings something that's familiar that has been. Uh, successful thus far in Kyle Shanahan's system, uh, but is there something maybe it's small that Ayuk does bring that San Francisco is lacking with Debo and KB and Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd and Dante Pettis on the roster still? Yeah, I think the one thing when you know you look at all the receivers you named, the one thing you'd say that you're missing is kind of a deep threat. 
someone that, you know, just has straight line speed, uh, kind of like Marquise Goodwin, uh, that can take the top off of a defense, right? And I know they signed Travis Benjamin in the offseason, but uh, I, I tweeted this out earlier um, this morning. I was looking at their wide receiver depth, and, you know, last year on the 53-man roster, they had seven receivers. Um, and, you know, you kind of go through the list, and Travis Benjamin's kind of, you know, uh, on the roster bubble there. So is he going to make it? I'm not sure. It kind of depends on on how camp goes, assuming it happens, and how they perform in the preseason and whatnot. But that would be the thing that uh, I think that they're missing in this offense. Um, and I think they're just doubling down on Jimmy Garoppolo's strength, which is in between the numbers, uh, you know, line of scrimmage to 10 yards, hitting guys in stride so that they can, you know, uh, run after the catch. I think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are just saying, okay, we're going to double down on that uh, and add guys that uh, kind of fit that mold. But that would be the one thing that I, I think they're still missing. You saying that the Niners are going to target guys who fit the offensive scheme, the mold, and the style of play Jimmy G likes to play and has been successful with. What does that mean for guys like a Dante Pettis, like a Richie James Jr., and other guys like a Travis Benjamin uh, who maybe don't exactly fit that mold? You mentioned Pettis earlier being more of a finesse kind of speedy player that has had problems with staying on the field, not because of injury concerns, but because of just you know him being in Shanahan's doghouse. What does that mean for those guys who are on the fringes of the roster who maybe don't have a spot defined in the receiving room? What does it mean for guys like that? Yeah, so I would say, you know, just come back to the roster. You know, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne are just locks to make the, the roster. I would say if Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd are healthy, they're also locks to make the roster. Uh, so that puts you at five receivers. you got two spots left. Uh, I would say the remaining two spots would come down to Dante Pettis, um, Travis Benjamin, Richie James, and uh, Juwan Jennings, right, the seventh-round pick. So when it comes down to it, I think it's just going to be who comes into camp in shape, ready to go, uh, who just performs better um, given their reps uh, in the preseason, uh, assuming we have all of that. So I think that's what it's going to come down to. Uh, I think I would, if I had to guess, I would say Richie James is probably on the outside looking in. Um, I would assume Dante Pettis is in just because uh, if they, you know, were to trade him, they probably would have done it in the draft. Uh, they moved a couple guys, right? They moved Matt Breida and uh, Marquise Goodwin. Uh, my guess is they would have tried to move Dante Pettis uh, and there were no takers. So my guess is Dante Pettis is back. And um, there's a chance, you know, for Juwan Jennings to potentially put himself in the top seven. But uh, I would think Travis Benjamin and uh, Dante Pettis would kind of round out that group. Well, let's talk about Juwan Jennings for a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll run through the rest of the draft here. Colton McKivitz, Western Virginia offensive lineman. He was the pick they they acquired in the Matt Breida trade with Miami. He, he was apparently going to be uh, the, the backup plan in case the Trent Williams trade didn't go through. So that's a pretty good uh Pretty good pick there late in the draft. And Charlie Warner, who is going to replace Toy Lolo as the blocking tight end, someone who uh, Shanahan's going to use on screen passes and passes behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, but let's go back to Juwan Jennings. You mentioned him, and you know he had some team violations, which they, they didn't seem too serious in regards to you know it being something extremely awful off the field. It just seems like teams didn't want to deal with it or, or, or even take a risk on him. But, but he's 6'3", he's 215 pounds. Uh, and he seemed to have uh, fallen in the draft because of the violations. But 
to me, he's the most intriguing late-round pick. I remember when the Niners picked him, I, I saw a bunch of DBs, DBs on the board, and I said, why? Why, you know, let's take a safe DB here to get someone in that room, but there's a lot of intrigue around him, and you mentioned he might be the, the last receiver maybe on the cusps of the roster, And but I want to ask you one question about Jalen Hurd, is that is Jawan Jennings kind of in, in an insurance policy in case Hurd's back does come into question again with health concerns? Yep, that was exactly what I was going to say. So uh, I think Shanahan really wants a big slot receiver. Uh, typically, you know, if you look at defensive backs, the opposing, you know, slot nickel corner typically is the smallest of the, you know, three or four corners, right? Your outside corners are typically longer, taller, faster. And so Shanahan's trying to, you know, uh, attack a mismatch here by putting, you know, a 6'3", 215-pound guy in Jennings or with Hurd, a 6'4", whatever he is, 220 guy uh, against a slot corner. It's just a mismatch that you can attack on the field, right? Uh, Obviously, Jalen Hurd went down with a back injury. Uh, It was so bad he couldn't even fly uh, to the Super Bowl. Uh, But John Lynch did uh, say to us, yes, on Saturday that he was, you know, uh, recovered and now they just need to see him kind of put in the work uh, to for himself to kind of get back in football shape and for him to kind of just interject himself into the offense because they spent a third round pick on him right so they you know ideally would like to uh, play him instead of Jennings but uh, back to Jennings I would say yeah he's kind of the backup plan in case uh, her her health doesn't pan out or whatever the case may be uh, Jennings I think the big things you see from him are his physicality um man i think he leads uh all uh you know draft eligible receivers in broken tackles um you know more than more than cd lamb too so his physicality especially playing in the sec was evident on tape uh he lines up primarily in the slot i think he'd only taken a handful of snaps outside so that that's where he would you know kind of fit in in, in uh this offense uh, he doesn't have the top end speed. He ran a four seven two, I think, at the combine, uh, which was like bottom two percentile uh, among all receivers. So that's, um, you know, that would be the primary reason for his slide to the seventh round, um, as well as you know the character concerns. I think he got a, into a fight with the coach. I believe uh, was kind of the violation. So uh, potentially some character concerns. Though I w- I will say when we met with him. Uh, on Saturday, he was grinning from ear to ear. Uh, he seemed like a super lighthearted, kind of easygoing guy. Um, seemed kind of innocent, uh, just kind of in the conversation we had. So, um, you know, not necessarily sure if those character concerns will follow him uh, to the NFL. But that being said, uh, I think there's a role for him in this offense. And depending on kind of just how he performs here out of the gate, uh, has a chance to make the roster and, uh, definitely make an impact on this team. Do you think due to his size and his physicality that Shanahan could maybe ask him to put on some weight and work on his blocking to play tight end in this offense with Kittle? You know, they added Warner late and Warner is kind of the blocking tight end, but they didn't add a, a you know, another receiving target. They have Dwelly obviously, but there really isn't anybody else out there that is a receiving target besides Kittle at tight end. Is there a chance that they move Jennings and wanting to keep his style of play on the roster you know going into the draft um especially with free agency they you know were in conversations with austin hooper who ended up going to cleveland 
they were in conversations with Jordan Reed, the former Redskins tight end, but that didn't really materialize. So kind of based on those conversations, I think most of us uh, who follow the team closely assumed that uh, a receiving tight end was kind of what the 49ers were looking for. Um, someone that will, you know, you can kind of pair with George Kittle, um, someone that Shanahan could use as a move tight end, you know, put in the slot outside, in line, backfield, wherever, right? Kind of used as a chess piece. Um, but the 49ers did exactly the opposite, uh, kind of like you mentioned earlier. And they went with Charlie Warner, the Georgia tight end, um, who primarily a blocking tight end, kind of fills in the Levine Toilolo role. Uh, but if you look back to last season, uh, these three important plays. So the two third and 16s uh, against the Rams late in the season, and then the third and 15 in the Super Bowl, the formation that the 49ers had exactly the same. They went receivers on the outside, but they put George Kittle in the backfield. So George Kittle, arguably their probably best receiver, I would say, uh, didn't even run a route uh, on any of these three plays. He stayed in the backfield to block. So, you know, thinking about this pick, I would assume that Shanahan's thinking, okay, let me get a better blocking tight end. So on situations like that, I can have George Kittle running uh, and being a pass catcher, which is something he's, you know, known for, rather than putting him in the backfield as a blocking tight end and, you know, limiting our pass catching threats uh, on the field. So he kind of went the opposite way. But to kind of answer your question, I don't think there's necessarily a plan to move Jennings to be a tight end I think he fits in kind of in this big slot receiver role um and I I think they're they're gonna ask him to stay kind of at the weight he's at especially considering he's slow already I don't know if they'd want to you know him to add you know 30 40 pounds to that uh and potentially slow him down even more when I hear you talk about George Kittle being used as a receiver more I can't help but get a little more excited uh, about maybe him being used more like Travis Kelsey but still having the blocking skills uh, that he has and you know although I'm excited about that there was some news that came around this weekend that you know was kind of sombering and kind of humbled a lot of Niner fans and that was the retirement of Joe Staley uh, we, we first heard about the possibility of Staley retiring from Matt Mayoko around a month ago maybe three weeks ago um, which also came with reports that Staley was trying to get healthy at the team facility but then of course you know COVID-19 picked up and the quarantine happened and you know it seemed to that may have played a factor in pushing Staley closer to retirement, um, which he eventually did after 13 seasons. And, and, and I, I could go into all the the accolades he has, and it, we can do an entire podcast on it, but I want to ask you a couple questions about it. Is losing Staley is going to be huge? We know that. Uh, and we'll talk about his replacement, Trent Williams, and pretty soon here. But I want to ask you is, you know, we, we've seen the outpour of messages from not only the Niner faithful, but teammates and even opposing uh, players on other teams uh, – what did Staley bring to this Niners team that, you know, it, it could possibly lack going into the 2020 season? Uh, is, is it leadership? Is it his personality, his lightheartedness? And then at times he can just take things extremely seriously and get this team motivated. What is it that, that made Staley so special uh, to this Niners roster? Fourth and nine, we kind of did uh, a little quick reaction. And in that, I mentioned, you know, the most – uh, you know, important or valuable thing that I've kind of taken away from Joe Staley is his consistency. Um, you know, when he joined the team in 2007, um, they weren't in a great place. Um, and they had the years with Harbaugh between 2011 and 2014, where obviously they had the highs, the Super Bowl run, the NFC title games, et cetera. 
And with Jim Tom Sula and Chip Kelly, they were kind of back in as a dumpster fire of an organization. And then now with Kyle Shanahan, right, kind of back to the mountaintop. So among this kind of roller coaster that the 49ers have been through, Joe Staley has been the consistency uh, throughout uh, this kind of era or chapter uh, in the 49ers history. And that, you know, era kind of ended yesterday when he retired. He was the last player remaining from their 2012 uh, Super Bowl roster. And so uh, I think that's the biggest thing they'll miss from him is, you know, just his uh, consistent availability, even though last season he missed some games. But just having that person around you in the locker room, even if he's not on the field, is is something huge. And and like you hit on, I think the leadership aspect, uh, I mentioned this earlier this morning, but the 49ers lost two captains, uh, team captains, DeForest Buckner and Joe Staley. And so now, right, you're going to be leaning on some of your younger guys, right? Uh, obviously, they brought in Trent Williams, but, you know, Javon Kinlaw, uh, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Fred Warner, Jimmy Ward, uh, you know, guys like this who, you know, were primarily just focused more on playing will now also have to be more of, you know, a leader on the field as well. Uh, Mike McGlinchey, another guy. So uh, especially in 2020 when, you know, kind of the noise around the team is going to be, you know, a lot louder. They're going to be expected to make a run for the Super Bowl. I think they have the best roster in the NFC. Uh, There's already been rumors about, you know, guys being moved, whether it's Quan Alexander or Kwaski Tard or D Ford. So there's going to be a lot of things said about this team and uh, the leaders on this team have to be strong and uh, hold the locker room down, obviously starting from Kyle Shanahan and working its way down. But so that's, you know, what you miss when you lose a guy like Joe Staley, um, who, you know, when you watch George Kittle speak uh, with a tear in his eyes, you could tell how, how much he meant to this team and, and organization. The one thing I like about this Niners team is no matter who gets hurt, no matter who retires or who gets traded, there seems to be uh, this next man up mentality. And I talked about this at nauseum uh, when Buckner got traded, how Armstead and DJ Jones and Blair and even Kerry Hyder, a guy who was brought in a free agency, they have to step up too. But, um, you know, but the one thing I also noticed is that they, they, they see, this team seems to be so loving and caring towards each other, which, you know, despite the talent of those Harbaugh era teams, and despite maybe the love and passion they did share for each other, this this team seems a lot closer uh, than previous Niner teams, at least that I've witnessed uh, in the last 20 to 30 seasons. Um, but with that said, I, I just want to ask you probably a dumb question here, but uh, Joe Staley's Hall of Fame chances have to be near 99%, right? Uh, see, I, I go back and forth on that, uh, and I might have to write about this kind of in-depth. Um I don't know if it's that high, you know, I'd have to go back and look to see, uh, you know, what kind of, who, who the tackles are in the hall of fame and see, you know, what they've accomplished. Um, but you know, 49ers had Brent Jones, you know, uh, from the nineties, this was kind of before my days. So I kind of just look at the accolades he accumulated. Uh, and I don't know if his accolades kind of trump what Joe Staley has collected in his tenure with the 49ers. Right. So, I'd have to go look back. I'm not sure if it's as high as 99%. Uh, I know he's highly valued. I think they're, he's going to get his number retired with the 49ers. He'll be in their ring of honor. Uh, they'll put his number up, you know, uh, with the rest of the guys. But I I don't know if he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure. I, I'd really have to dig into that. I think if you told Niner fans that Joe Steely may not be a Hall of Famer, they might start a riot somewhere. This is how much they love him. But 
Uh, I do want to ask you a question that that may, you know, maybe make Niner fans even sadder than they previously were after losing to the Chiefs uh, in the Super Bowl. But uh, knowing Staley is retired now, knowing his last game was that Super Bowl loss after the Niners had a 10-point lead with nine and a half minutes left, does it add an extra weight to that Super Bowl loss knowing that Staley's last ride didn't end in this Cinderella story that the Niners had to experience when Ray Lewis did the same thing to them uh, during the Harbaugh era? And do you think it adds an extra fire to this team going into 2020? Yeah, uh, you know, he had a long quote uh, after the Super Bowl loss, just about how difficult, you know, the season was on him, battling multiple injuries, the fibula and the finger, uh, you know, coming back from both of those uh, and obviously battling his, you know, injuries. Uh, so when you, you know, reread that quote now with the perspective that, oh, hey, you retired, it totally makes sense of why he was so emotional after the game um, and knowing that they were so close and you know they couldn't come over the hump and it's one of those things in football when you win a super bowl you're forever going to be introduced as hey this is super bowl champion blah 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 right so it's one of those things that'll forever stick with you and for him not to you know accomplish that is is uh tough especially when you know the guys that have gone through this franchise uh that have also not accomplished that you know the frank gores in the world the patrick willis's and you kind of put him in that category where you would have loved to see for them to win a ring for, you know, just because you know the type of person that they are. Um, and like you mentioned, I, th- I think it will bring this locker room closer. Um, I think they have a lot of motivation as it is. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said he thought they were the best roster last year and that they should have won. And obviously they have the 10 point lead and with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter and it just kind of unraveled there. And uh, it's going to be more, it's going to be more difficult this season because they have a target on their back, but uh, I think the guys, you know, uh, they call it like the legendary revenge tour of 2020, uh, right? The Quan Alexanders and the George Kittles. So uh, I think they're going to be highly motivated. And now this Joe Staley retirement is probably going to, you know, uh, make it that much sweeter for them if they are able to win. I think the one thing that sticks with me, and this isn't about Joe Staley at all, but it's about George Kittle and, you know, hearing his kind of his speech to himself after the collapse happened of, you know, I'm going to get back here. You know, with a with the expletive vengeance, it kind of gives you chills every single time you watch it. And you know, that seemed kind of like ever since that night, they've been on, you know, this kind of revenge tour mentality. And you've seen that guys working out constantly, guys back in the gym right after, you know, or the week after that game ended. Uh, but I want to talk about Trent Williams for a little bit because you cannot talk about the the draft weekend without arguably talking about the Niners' biggest trade acquisition in in a long time. Um, Trent Williams was acquired from the Redskins for a fifth-round pick this year, uh, which kind of Niners didn't need at, at that point. Uh, but they gave up a 2021 third-round pick, which when I look back, it's funny to see that the Niners gave up less for Williams than they did for Emmanuel Sanders. And obviously both were on one-year deals, and Williams you know, will likely get an extension soon. Uh, he reportedly turned down uh, an offer that would have sent him to Minnesota because uh, he Let's be honest here. I think he wanted to play for Kyle Shanahan again, uh, but you know, and I definitely wouldn't blame him. Um, but but what was your reaction uh, to the the Trent Williams trade? Thursday in the draft, they pass on Tristan Wirfs, and you think, okay, so maybe you know Matt Mayoko's report was kind of inaccurate, or uh, maybe Joe Staley's kind of mulling coming back because you know there were four consensus top tackles. Then there are a few others, right? The Josh Jones, the Ezra Cleveland. 
Um, you know, the next tier guys, Austin Jackson, they passed on all of those guys. So they're like, okay, are they just going to roll with Dan Brunskill, Justin Skewell, uh, et cetera, if Joe Staley were to retire? And then they don't do anything on, on Friday and Saturday hits. And I think it was like before the first pick was made, uh, the report came down that, you know, uh, Trent Williams was going to be traded to the 49ers. And the first rumors kind of started um, on Thursday, I believe. The NBC sports reporter from Washington, uh, Julie Donaldson, she kind of dropped the report that, you know, other teams were mentioning that, hey, the 49ers may have interest in Williams. And Shanahan's connection with Williams uh, from their time in Washington kind of makes sense. So uh, all of a sudden you connect the dots and Trent Williams, a 49er. And, you know, Niner fans may not like hearing this right away, but I think the 49ers upgraded at their left tackle position. Um, You know, Joe Staley battled through injuries last year, uh, missed a handful of games. Uh, I remember in that Seattle game Monday night, you know, at Levi's, he got worked by Jadavion Clowney. And he came back, he had a much better performance in Week 17. But there were moments last year when you'd be like, oh, man, Joe Staley, like, isn't performing up to the mark. Has he just lost a step, his athleticism? Like, this doesn't look like the normal Joe Staley uh, that, you, you know, you're just used to watching. And I think if Trent Williams comes in and looks like the 2018 version of himself, you've upgraded at the position. You've arguably added, you know, a top two left tackle uh, who's 30, who's going to be 32, but has, you know, sat out a year. So he's got to be fresh and healthy. And, uh, you know, a guy that uh, reminds me of Jason Peters, the Eagles tackle, just freak size, freak athleticism. He ran like a four, eight at the combine for his size, just, uh, just phenomenal. So I, I think they've seamlessly kind of fixed their left tackle situation and might've just upgraded it too. I know Williams calls himself, uh, or his nickname is the Silverback, so it kind of shows you the mentality he has as a left tackle. And he he's the fourth-ranked left tackle, according to PFF, since 2011. And obviously, since 2011, a lot of guys like Joe Thomas and Joe Staley now are, are out of the league. Uh, but because he hasn't played in a year after holding out to conflict with Washington's front office and their medical staff, uh, is there or is, is it reasonable to question if there is going to be a possible drop-off in production uh, from Williams at left tackle? Yeah, I, I, like I said, that's probably the biggest question mark you have with Williams. It, it clearly looks like uh, he's a high-character guy. You know, the guys in the locker room with the Redskins were had his back. Uh, if you talk to Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, earlier this week, he was uh, raving about Trent Williams and uh, just the type of person he is um, and, you know, just having him around kind of the offense. Um, and so... I think from that standpoint, um, the one thing that just concerns you is, okay, he hasn't played football in a year, right? Uh, so kind of what kind of shape is he going to come into, you know, when he, come, when he returns this season? And just how seamless can he, you know, go from his 2018 performance now to 28-20 after missing last year? So uh, it's, it's totally fair to question that. And that's one of those things that we just won't know until he, he starts to play, right? With Williams coming over, there's been kind of talks of he's only on a one-year contract. There's talks of restructuring that deal. Uh, and then there's also talks about, you know, they're going to have to extend him if they think that he's, he's this franchise left tackle. Uh, one, I want to ask you what a restructure of that deal would look like. And two, what does an extension for Trent Williams also look like, knowing he hasn't played in a year, but also likely still in the prime of his career? 
Uh, one of the things is his current salary cap hit comes in lower than what Joe Staley's was uh, was going to be. So since Joe Staley retired, uh, a majority of his cap hit uh, gets wiped away, I believe. I think like a million of it's left over um, in, in dead cap. So uh, they bring in Trent Williams, who I think comes in at like $12.5 million, if I'm not wrong. Uh, that's, that's a salary cap hit for this season. Um, and so if they were to restructure that deal, uh, they would, you know, basically turn that base salary into uh, a signing bonus. So they would just upfront guarantee that money for him. Uh, and all that would do is kind of just, you know, split the salary cap hit across, you know, this season and the next season so that they can lower the cap hit this year and push some of that money next year. But that doesn't mean that doesn't guarantee that he's coming back next year. Uh, I think Eric Branch uh, was the person that asked Kyle this uh earlier this weekend he said okay hey is, is trent williams the left tackle of your future and kyle shanahan kind of cut him off uh and said no no no. uh you know we've got a plan a b c d you know with our left tackle situation where we like the guys that we have you know dan brunskill justin skewell uh colton mckivitz the guy that they drafted this year in the sixth round so uh i think it was more of like a, he was posturing because uh, they're obviously trying to negotiate a contract with him. I think, you know, ideally they would like to keep him, um, you know, past the season for, you know, two, three, four years, uh, given his age. Um, but you, you just don't know, considering where the 49ers are with their salary cap and what Trent Williams' demands are. Uh, Julie Donaldson, the reporter I mentioned earlier, she reported that, you know, Williams, when he was looking for a contract extension, wanted to be one of the top, you know, one or two left paid, you know, highest paid left tackles, excuse me. And, you know, uh, Laramie Tunzel, the Houston tackle just got paid. Uh, I think his deal was like three years, like 60 million, uh, 22 million a year uh, with like 57 guaranteed. So I think, you know, that's the kind of deal that Trent Williams would want somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, and, you know, the 49ers will have to make a decision if they're willing to pay that uh, to Williams, but I, I don't think they're going to sign him to an extension until they see him on the field. Right. It's just that concern that we have, that they have, uh, that we mentioned of, you know, what's his performance going to be like? So if they see that, then I'm sure they'll start working towards an extension, uh, in that price range. Yeah. It makes sense for the Niners to go after McEvitt's even after the Trent Williams trade went through to just in case something, uh, maybe is a little off with Williams after sitting out a year, but we talked about the Niners next season or next offseason. You know, they have to re-sign guys like a Trent Williams, like George Kittle, like Fred Warner, like Mike McGlinchey, among other guys like Richard Sherman or Quan Williams or even Witherspoon. Um, you know, they have an estimated $45 million according to Spotrack. I don't know if that's considering Staley's $11 million is off the book. Uh, but but do you expect guys like Kittle, Warner, McGlinchey uh, to get extensions uh, next season? And, and where does that leave some guys like Jaquiski Tart? who are in the last year of their deal uh, and play a position that the San Francisco 49ers could, could maybe slide someone else over there or could find maybe a, a fourth-round pick that they do still have because they didn't trade it for Williams uh, to replace him with. Yeah, so free agents next season, uh, there are quite a bit of them. Uh, so op- offensively, Cal Juszczyk, uh, George Kittle are free agents. Uh, defensively, Richard Sherman, Kawan Williams, the nickel corner, arguably the best nickel corner in the league, uh, Akella Witherspoon, Kwaski Tart, uh, all free agents. Uh, so I would, 
you know, fully expect that Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle are back with this team in 2021. Um, I think Kittle's extension is kind of the next priority. Um, I would assume that they're working on that in the background, uh, but getting him under contract, knowing what his salary cap hit's going to be over the next few years is going to be important. He's probably going to be the, you know, highest paid tight end for sure. One of the highest paid players on this team, probably. Um, I would expect Juszczyk just to be back. Uh, you know, he's in the prime of his career. I think he's going to be like 27. Uh, he's super important to what this offense does, both running the football and as a, you know, uh, as a pass catcher. Uh, defensively, I'm not sure if Kwaski Tart will be back. Um, and then in the, you know, among the cornerbacks, I'm not sure if all three of them will be back. I would assume there were talks that, uh, you know, they were looking to extend Richard Sherman. So I think they, you know, they value his leadership, what he brings to the locker room, his professionalism. Uh, that would be a, someone I think they extend on a short-term deal. Uh, and Witherspoon, you know, John Lynch mentioned, has to perform this season, uh, you know, or else, you know, it's kind of his last chance. Uh, but some of the other guys you mentioned, Fred Warner, Mike McGlinchey, uh, they will all play on their fifth-year option. Uh, most likely, I'm guessing the Niners will either try to extend them next year, you know, after 2021, uh, or you know they'll they'll play on their fifth year uh, option. Uh, the one thing that we did see today is, is Solomon Thomas. I, I was you know looking up to see what the number would be if they did pick up his fifth year option. It's somewhere between 12 and 14 million, uh, and the Niners won't do that. So uh, he he still could potentially return to the team in 2021 but it would have to be at a much lower number than that. He's the fifth highest player, highest paid player on the team right now. And he definitely doesn't play like it. So uh, those are kind of the question marks. And uh, I would look that they, you know, re-sign a lot of their defensive backs that they have uh, that will be free agents. And just like you mentioned, it's a position that they'll address uh, in the draft. Uh, but I think they like guys like Marcel Harris. Uh, we've yet to see Tim Harris in action. Uh, so there's some guys on the roster that they like, but uh, it'll it'll be a position of need in, in 21. You mentioned Tim Harrison, and I only have two more questions for you. Uh, but the Niners seem to have replaced departing players, you know, Kinlaw for Buckner, Ayuk for Sanders, uh, Trent Williams for Joe Staley. Um, is this team expecting players who were on IR or injured or even redshirted last season, like Jalen Hurd, Trent Taylor, even Tim Harris, like you mentioned, to be the, the quote-unquote additions to the team rather than going out and trading for the long rumored Odell Beckham Jr. or even other players that have been rumored to San Francisco. I, I've even heard Joe Mixon uh, as a rumor, but you know, do you think that they're looking at guys that have been on IR and guys that didn't play last year uh, that have they have high hopes for to be the, the additions for this team? Uh, I read this today. Uh, I think Grant Cohn uh, had written it, and he said that you know the 49ers, the thing that's special about them uh, is their depth. And you mentioned this earlier in the podcast as well. Uh, when a guy went down last season, they were able to basically plug in someone that was equally effective or just slightly less effective at that position, uh, whether it was Kyle Juszczyk or uh, either the tackles, right? Joe Staley or Mike McGlinchey. Uh, Weston Richburg went down, um, you know, uh, you know, wherever they had people go down, uh, they had another player in that position. And I think that's, that's what this team is built on is their depth and being able to just, uh, with injury, just, you know, fill guys in and not have much of a drop-off. And so I personally, you know, like the idea that they've got depth at all these positions. 
and especially they're banking on these guys coming off of IR to add to that depth, whether it's Trent Taylor or Jalen Hurd for the receivers, whether it's Tim Harris um, uh, as a defensive back, uh, whether it's DJ Jones, uh, Ronald Blair, Contavious Street uh, for defensive line depth. Uh, all these guys coming back is a good thing, and it's much, much more important for the 49ers to have those guys back than to you know, trade for an Odell Beckham or a Joe Mixon or someone flashy, right? That kind of stuff wins on, you know, Twitter or uh, in the off season, but it doesn't necessarily win on, win on Sundays, right? Having that depth uh, on in all these different positions was kind of the key for the Niners last season. And I think they're moving forward with that type of formula uh, next season. Yeah, we saw how the, the flashiness worked for the Browns last season, but I have one final question and I would like to think it's a yes or no answer, but uh, do you think this Niners team, currently as they're structured, uh, with the expected you know depth chart you know a- as it sits, do you think this team has enough to get back to the Super Bowl and eventually win it in 2020? So on paper, this roster I think is uh, slightly worse than it was last year, and you know I think a lot of fans look at Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk. And uh, even guys like Charlie Warner and Joan Jennings and uh, potentially the guys that are coming back and think, OK, hey, this is this will this will be enough to get us over the hump. But, you know, I look at it like, you know, they lost to Forrest Buckner, who played over 800 snaps for them last year on the defensive line. Every single game you knew he was going to be out there. Um, and then Emmanuel Sanders, the guy that they acquired midseason. But again, he was uh, a proven veteran. Um, and quickly learned the offense and became highly effective in his role. So they lost both of those guys. Uh, and then now Joe Staley, right? And they replaced him with Trent Williams, but kind of a question mark, um, just given you don't know how he's going to come back and play. So there's potential on this roster for them to be better, um, you know, with their additions. There's potential on them for, you know, for them to be worse. It really depends on those three guys right there. Uh, Trent Williams, Javon Kinlaw, Brandon Ayuk. And I'm not so much worried about Trent Williams, but those two rookies. And there is some immense pressure on them uh, to come in and perform like immediately. They're, you know, uh, Ayuk is the number two receiver on this team and Javon Kinlaw is going to be a three down lineman, right? So if either of those uh don't play it kind of up to their expectation suddenly the 49ers roster looks a little worse and so you you know if you're a 49ers fan you're hoping Javon Kinlaw is not Solomon Thomas he's more Nick Bosa if you're uh and you're hoping that Brandon Ayuk is more Debo Samuel and less Dante Pettis in terms of their just performance with the Niners so uh if they lean more like uh those guys the guys that have, have played well they'll be fine but if they look more like Solomon Thomas or Dante Pettis, uh, they could be in some trouble. And I, and I don't know if the rest of the roster is good enough to bring them back to, to the Super Bowl. To me, this Niners team looks like a a roster or, or squad that finishes with the worst record but could end up winning the entire thing. The regular season may not be what you want, but come playoff time, they, they might be tested and ready to go since they did it last season. You can follow Akash on Twitter at Akash Anav, so that's A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. He's a great source for everything 49ers and is a must-follow for all Niner fans. He does great work with the 4th and 9. Thank you, Akash, for coming on today. 
I appreciate it, Sterling. It was fun. Thank you. That's all we have for today's show. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends that there is a brand new 49ers podcast out there designed just for them. Until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett, and stay faithful. Stay faithful.